Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact. Well, there's little doubt regarding Johan Rupert's ability as a businessman. Shrewd business acumen certainly runs in the Rupert blood. His father, Anton, founded the original Rembrandt Group in the early 1940s, slightly before my time. And more than 80 years later, the Rembrandt Group has been transformed into three different investment vehicles, as we know, Remgro, Richemont and Raynet. And together, the businesses are worth over a trillion rand, with each vehicle housing different interests. If you look at Remgro, that's the investment holding company, which has predominantly been invested in financial services. It has diversified or pivoted to more tech-focused investments over the last two years. Raynet's primary investments are its interest in British American Tobacco and unlisted UK-based financial services provider Pension Insurance Corp. And lastly, we've got the Swiss-based luxury goods company, which many will be familiar with, Richemont, the largest of the three by some distance. And since spinning off Rembrandt's international assets into Richemont years ago, it houses several of the most loved and well-known fashion brands in the world, including Cartier, Montblanc, and Peter Miller, and has achieved an impressive compound annual growth of around 20% for the last 15-odd years. What can we learn from this? Well, to find out, I'm joined now by Brian Cantor, economist and former chief investment strategist of Investec Wealth and Investment, David Holland, a co-founder of Fractal Value Advisors, and someone who likes to be fairly critical, David, of some of the yawning discounts that we see in investment holding companies. So no doubt we'll get to that. Welcome, gents, and all the best for the new year. Let's just start with the big lesson here, Brian, that we can learn, because it's one thing for an entrepreneur to go out and create wealth. Often that wealth is destroyed by the third generation. What can we learn from the way Johan Rupert has managed the largesse that he received from his father, Anton? Yes, well, I think one point is they're into almost the third generation has to take over. There's a third generation involved in the business. What impresses one about Rupert, Johan Rupert, he's created a great business. Richmond is his work. His father built an amazing tobacco business and took on the competition and won magnificently and built great wealth for people who backed him. But uh, Johan deserves great credit for building Richmond. I saw the other day 65 billion euros worth of capital, which the family owns 9%, extended family 9%. And they control Richmond. They have 51% of the votes. So the Rupert family has continued to hold their assets, to develop them, and to control them, and to diversify the family's wealth through these different investments. Richmond, Remgro, they've controlled, continue to control. They've built great wealth, and they've managed to diversify their family wealth while keeping control of it. Enormous achievement. It's testament to buying and holding something. It's unusual. I think your point about third generation is an interesting one. Can you maintain that control or want to control through a further generation? I think that's going to be an interesting question for the Ruperts. Yeah, it's interesting as well. And David, to bring you in here, that this is also happening at a time where we see Nelson Mandela's belongings being auctioned off. And it echoes an ancient Chinese proverb on wealth 
Wealth doesn't last beyond three generations. The first creates it, the second preserves it, and the third tends to squander it. This hasn't been the case here. So that's why it is such an interesting study. Before we get to the critique, and I know fund managers do have critiques of the performance of Remgro and Raynet in particular, what stands out for you in the Rupert dynasty? Yeah, I think they have an extraordinary history, and it's certainly an exemplar for the notion of family-owned businesses being more serious stewards of capital. So, you know, by the family running these businesses or overseeing them, they're much more serious about governance, aligning behavior with the performance of the companies. So on the plus side, a phenomenal job. I think it's more recently. So if you look over the last decade, the performance hasn't been that good. So in even Richemont, which is a fabulous business, as you've pointed out, it's underperformed the global consumer discretionary decade, and certainly it's gotten walloped by a company like LVMH. So it's all, you know, it's always about what's going to happen next, not what happened in the past. So you can pat yourself on the back for the last 20, 30, 40 years, well done. But what's happening now isn't really stacking up to the reputation that uh, that Johan Rupert has in the past. So he's he's been fan. These various businesses aren't doing that well. And this is from, you know, someone who talks about generating superior cash flows in his investments. Well, Richemont is, 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 a, is a very good business that beats its cost of capital, um, but it's been coming off. But if you look at companies like RCL Foods, even MediClinic, they, they were well below their cost of capital. Um, so those aren't really quality cash flows. And, and so I really start to question the, the capital allocation that's going on and how these businesses are being measured. And we know, um, and RCL has uh, come in for uh, criticism for, for some time. It has embarked now on something of a, a strategic uh, pivot. It sold, I think, Vector Logistics uh, last year. It's, it's, it's kind of hiving off some assets that it feels are non-core. Uh, from your perspective, David, how, how do the management team go about enhancing etern- internal rates of return inside a REM growth? So the the first thing is, I, I think there's been too much emphasis on EBITDA. Um, so that that's problematic because depreciation and, and amortization they be they may be non-cash, but you still have to replace assets. So, but also those measures don't um, come in. They don't they don't really incorporate in, anything from the balance sheet. So if you're gonna if you're MediClinic or a hospital group or, or RCL Foods you're using EBITDA as a metric, um, you can grow EBITDA by making value-destroying investments. Okay, so you can overcapitalize whether you're a hospital or, or a food group. And that's been the history, I think. Um, so you'd certainly like to see much more use of a return on invested capital and an economic profit or EVA measure. And Mr. Rupert is well well aware of these measures. He, he knows what they are. Um, he, he knows quite a bit about the 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 the, 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 the principles of value creation. So I just, just wonder why they don't use those metrics more to align management and behavior um, with creating value. So 
and even if I look in their the Remgro's most recent uh, investor presentation, there's still mention of EBITDA and things like that. There's no mention of ROIC for the various businesses that they run. Um, there's no mention of economic profit and whether it's growing or remaining flat. And, you, you know, you look at a company like RCL Foods, it's not that it's been underperforming for the last 2008. So there's been a lot of talk about correcting that, but I don't really see any evidence of it of it happening. And I think that's the nub of why the market at this point, uh, Brian, to bring you in, is is growing frustrated. Um, I mean, it's one thing to recognize past exceptional performance by uh, by the group and the stable, but it's quite another when it does appear that that management. Um, don't want to embrace uh, using these uh, better metrics in order to enhance internal rates of return. Why do you think that is, Brian? Because it's often raised at AGMs, at shareholder meetings, and uh, it tends to get quite a bristled and curt response from um, Rupert the Bear. Yes, it's hard to answer why they don't adopt these uh, Incentives, which which work, but then what uh, what comes with Remgro and Raynet and and Richmond is total control. So so that's that's what you have to put up with. If you if you buying if you buying into those companies, you are buying knowingly into uh, Rupert control. And uh, the one uh, key point here is that. Uh, shareholders, or broadly, shareholders can do their own diversification. You don't need you don't need the Remgros or the Raynets to diversify your your portfolios. The family needs it, and it's very useful f- f- to diversify the family wealth. And it's also ambitious for 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 the family to want to control the key key decisions. But from a from an outside investor's point of view, knowing what you buy, knowing the jockey who's, who's riding your horse, you would have to uh, get superior returns to, uh, to justify uh, your investment. And uh, in the case of the holding companies, Remgro and Raynet, I see Raynet on a bit of a tear at the moment. You really haven't had, had that. You haven't had the, the extra returns that... Uh, would uh, justify uh, giving up control to 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 the Rupert family. So, so yes, past past performance, uh, depending on, has been very good, but re- recent performance, not so good on, on those stocks. And so you're you're only as good as your your last performance. Nobody's nobody's going to re- they but. Uh, Yes, your reputation matters, but unless you can deliver, you run into uh, you run into frustration and and criticism. I I would add that the a key function of a of a holding company like a Remgro or a Raynet is to develop new business. That is to actually nurture. Uh, uh, new startups and and their like and 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 to make a to help them make a success and then to get the benefits of that success. I don't know that the track record there has been particularly good 
outside of uh, outside of uh, Richmond. Because ultimately, and David, to bring you back in uh, as a family, if you if you want to continue to grow your wealth uh, and use your existing asset base uh, to to raise. Uh, capital uh, to generate capital to invest in new ventures that can far exceed their cost of capital um, you need to be demonstrating that you're investing in uh, say the next 10 cent probably a bad example given what's happened in china over the last while but you know the next uh, to to brian's point the next startup that is going to be able to maybe dominate in the ai space um, i suppose there's a case to be made for the the assets to be unbundled um, to be listed separately uh, and uh, for the proceeds then to be distributed uh, to to shareholders, of which the family are big shareholders, and then maybe they could reinvest um, from that value unlock into more value-accretive ventures. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. That's why the, 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 the Mediclinic, um, uh, call it a reverse unbundling, is is a bit baffling um you know first of all you have to pay a premium to to take it private um and now you've got to be able to 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 somehow create new synergies and and new cash flows increase return on invested capital economic profit all that stuff if they couldn't do it while they were listed and their returns were quite poor um, you know what? Why should you believe they're going to do it when they're private and, and really out of the, the eyes of the public? Um, yeah. So, and 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 you know, I'll, I'll name Distel as another example. This was a company like like SAB, um, South African Breweries, who used to use uh, EVA as a metric, and they used it very well over 20 years ago, um, very well. And they, at some point, stopped using it, um, probably because they wanted to make some acquisitions or do, you know, <laughs> silly capital allocation things. But, um, you know, th- that w- that was a business that went from creating value and beating its cost of capital to being pretty much at cost of capital or sub cost of capital um, when it was bought by Heineken. So, uh, you know, again, the, why? these companies their, their their performance is is running down it's not improving um so you're going to be kind of suspicious or question question the skills of of, of the people managing um these assets investments uh, and, and overseeing the businesses and and i think that's what the the discount is ultimately you're, well, the you're, discount, you're seeing fun, uh... fun man Fund managers yeah. don't believe that NAV. They just simply don't believe it. It's the judgment that's, of the marketplace. Yes, yeah, so now the NAV now, it's easy, I think, to exaggerate NAV. It's not a. It's an. It's a director's valuation, and it's very easy hmm. to exaggerate those valuations, and also to ignore market fluctuations that might affect those valuations. So it's a nice. It's a nice smooth, a smooth valuation uh, process, which the, mm-hmm. which likely exa- exaggerates the value of the unlisted assets, and it takes it takes those unlisted out of the the public eye, which you know, which is uh, you know ru- running a, a little bit for for safety, if you like, or, or trying to avoid criticism. I I didn't like that move. One little bit. I think 
if you if you are a genuine uh, holding company and you 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 make these uh, initial investments and you help the companies under your wing develop there comes a certain point i think where they can stand mm. and they should stand on their own and unbundling unbundling helps uh, liquidate uh, some of the assets so shareholders get a, in effect a, a a cash cash back uh, at at full at full value so so uh, if you if you really want to uh, eliminate the discount to to NAV that the market places on your business do unbundling don't don't take important investments uh, private that's yeah. that yeah. would seem to me a fairly obvious yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, conclusion to 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 come. Now, many clinic uh, that investment of I think it was six hundred million pounds in the newer has been a disaster. So certainly, uh, Rupert doesn't get everything right, but he also doesn't get everything wrong. And I think, as I said before, I think it serves the family extremely well this diversification strategy and and also the 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 holding companies charge fees so one of the things you uh, one of the things you pay off for and also reduces market value is the, is the man is the management fees that you pay for 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 the service that mm -hmm. uh, that is provided. Well, I don't know why any fees were paid for the many MediClinic transaction. In fact, it should have been the other <laughs> way around. Uh, just uh, to conclude, David, uh, we're running out of time here. Do you think that investor impatience with Remgro's deep discount to net asset mm. value will ultimately lead to changes? And I guess the market would want to have a firm view on that uh, in order to invest ahead of the time. And what the what, what is the potential value unlock here if we were to see uh, an unbundling strategy pursued. Well, that's a that's a good, good question, um, and I would have to put pencil to paper um, to 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 really answer that. Um, but but typically, I think you'd be looking at a twenty five thirty percent uplift um, when you when you un, un, unbundle things or, or, or sell them. You know, that's the sort of premium you'd expect. Um, I think it's worth uh, pointing out. Uh, Brian hasn't mentioned this, but um, his him and his colleagues at Investec uh, looked at the the PE ratio for for uh, Remgro's unlisted versus listed uh, 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 investments over time, and you pretty much see that the PE on the unlisted is twice the PE on the listed, which again makes you a bit suspicious <laughs> of them. Mark, marking up these valuations. So if you have the valuation on their unlisted investments, there, there would be no discount to market value. Um, so again, you know, that, that's kind of what the market is saying it's worth. But um, yeah, to, to answer your question, uh, my knee jerk would be 25 to 30% uplift by, by un, un, unbundling a, a number of these, these investments. And uh, one criticism I hear of even Richmond is that uh, the management, Rupert, is not ruthless enough with some of his underperforming subsidiary companies. So you see, he's, he, he sticks by them and mm. uh, they, lose, they lose money or they, or they don't give an adequate return. So one of, one of the value-enhancing uh, actions he might take across the board is to be uh, you know, cut losses. No, the cut losses. 
and just sell off underperforming assets and concentrate on the on growing the successful parts of the of the business. Yeah, yeah, but a good point. And I, I guess it's also worth mentioning that you know while we see this discount is is large, it's probably not as large as some others that we also see on the market. So it it is a, a structural feature of investment holding companies. You think here, African Rainbow Capital and Breit and even Sabvest of late. Uh, and it's because you're paying for those fees. It's also because of the ability to mark one's own homework and in, in how we value those unlisted yeah. investments. And a big, you know, a big problem yeah. in in the property, the listed property industry as well, which tends to be able to value uh-huh. its own properties. And uh, I think mm, yes, that's why yes. we see these deep navs in in the REIT sector as well. Uh, just I would com- add one yeah. one further point. You you're really valuing the also the market value of the company reflects the. The, the promise of the investment program. And if, if you're skeptical about the investment program, the new investments, mm. you, will, you will mark them down. So, so I, the more promising your investment program, the, the more valuable the, the holding company. And to some extent, it's the skepticism about the quality of the investment program that reduces market value relative to exaggerated NAV mm. and also the uh, cost of the fees. Nasbers is, I think, a classic example of, of that. The, yes. the market, the outside investors don't believe that they'll pull off anything like the uh, bonanza they, uh, they realized with, uh, with Tencent. Well, um, I mean, nothing like the bonanza that uh, a certain CEO uh, got for superintending those um, value-destructive investments. We're going to have to leave it there, chaps. Very interesting chatting to you, Brian Cantor and David Holland, uh, looking at some of the lessons that we can learn from uh, the the Rupert family's uh, diversification. But more importantly, you know, looking into the future, why the market continues to be impatient with the underperformance of uh, the underlying um, holding companies in the stable. You're listening to Classic Business. Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice, and impact.